<clears throat> well, I, I feel like I left the thread dangling a little too far not to clean it up and see if I can tie a knot in it, which is the idea that these nodes you're arriving at in your destiny are inevitable. And there are some things that can happen along the way that uh, can disrupt. And so here's where, uh, should I make this an entirely different podcast? Catastrophic incursions versus soul realignments? Maybe. But why does the cataclysmic clock matters this way? When Earth has a massive cataclysm, and every 12,950 or 960 year cataclysm, or whatever the real clock is, I'm not positive, but there is one that is separated into roughly 13,000 years, 6,500 years, and I believe even the 3250s are, are something of note. And the cycles here are energetic, if not geomagnetic, and related to uh, the sun itself. <clears throat> and I'm not sure that there aren't even uh, pressure um, uh, forces within the Earth that are created through this energetic exchange that caused the Earth itself to be disruptive enough to say, stop its centrifugal motion for a period of 24 hours before causing enough energy to restart, causing the planet enormous havoc, these kinds of events. And I will continue asking for answers here because I don't have them and we need them. But looking for guidance in what is otherwise, uh, I believe, becoming more and more uh, evidentiary is that about 12,900 years ago, the Earth experienced one of these. And uh, in fact, if you look back in time, there is evidence of repetitive cataclysmic uh, events on Earth in our recent past, in our last 100,000 years, which is recent for Earth cataclysm. Meaning, we are potentially on the cusp of something dramatic. I don't continue believing that this is inevitable for us because I also have dreams that involve some other outcome. And that other outcome may be fantastic as well. And all of my future may just turn out to be working as a greeter at Walmart. I'm realistic. I don't believe I'm a prognosticator of the future, some sort of sayer of what will come, but let's assume that as a civilization, one of the things that makes it so hard to believe that we're not the first sort of bubble of Earth's grandeur, even given some of that megalithic architecture or stone masonry and architecture, we can't explain how it was created or even recreate it today. Well, if the Earth is, in fact, consistently cleaned off by a massive release of the entire structure of water that is our oceans. Remember, the oceans cover 75% of the, of the land. That if that were to just start going free and washing across all of it, well, it would cause havoc to a degree that's biblical. It's concerning that almost all ancient civilizations speak of a great flood of this proportion and warn with dire emergency that the future holds a recurrence of set events because this is cyclical. And here on 
Oh my God, it's so tranquil. Every fucking year is the same around here. Earth that we've experienced. And not to be dismissive of the tragedies that do occur, our own version of tsunami-related horror in my lifetime was bad enough. The idea that that is just a 1% of the 1% of the damage that could happen if the real thing goes? Well, that frightens the fuck out of me. But <sighs> we persist, right? Or do we? Maybe there is some overseer that comes down and says, oh, look, look who killed themselves. Look what happened. Oh, they didn't get past that flood test. Maybe that's the universal test of galactic ascendance. Can you, through cooperation as a species, overcome the inert nature of an existence in this reality that comes with the 13,000-year energetic reset cycle? You want to live in the calm tranquility that it is to be in the Barbados? Well, guess what? You better have your 13,000-year cycle up. Because if you haven't learned how to cooperate to that point, we don't really want you around because... Hell, you may discover something like nuclear technology at a time when you are not ready for it. So, the way this universe has been set up is you can either survive the wipeout or you can't. And if you can't, well, we'll come recede with another version of you and maybe that one will do better. Hmm. I mean, galactic nonsense that that may be, it explains a lot more of what's going on around here than other stuff. Imagine you're part of the elite and you come to realize that that is in fact what's going on because some aliens come here to try to tell you the prophecy and you're like, what? Oh yeah, right, whatever. And then they disarm your nuclear weapons in midair to prove their superiority and the fact that they're telling you the truth. And you say, well, I mean, if all that's going to happen about a hundred years from now is you're going to just hit the reset button. Well, those of us in power are just going to take everything we can, as much as we can, and, you know, fuck the rest of them. I mean, they'll all be dead in 100 years anyway, so whatever this is make. Yep. Yep. Maybe that's why I quit my job. I sometimes think back to the times when I knew I was doing something wrong. I went ahead and did it anyway. Like, I'm not sure I can remember a specific time, but a very good example of this would be if somebody you knew in math class had stolen the answer key to the test next period, and they were passing it around the lunchroom. Well, you have the choice to either go look at it or to not. And to go look at it, you know is wrong. But to not go look at it, well, it means you put yourself at a disadvantage to everybody that does go look at it. So what do you do? And if you can say that that decision is 100% clear cut, well then, I don't know if I want you as a close friend. Pause. And it's not that I only want the deviant among my Trusted circle. That's not it at all. But in analyzing our current situation, 
one of the things that I think is a necessary meter to be able to read is how much of what somebody did was put themselves in the same advantaged position that everybody else was putting themselves in versus how much of those actions would they have taken in a circumstance where they were acting alone and of their own volition. So let me explain what I mean by this in a second. Hang on. Um, when you read of FBI investigations that take place in situations where there are only um, so many um, participants in the, in the charade that are even suspects, the rest of them are FBI agents planted to try to encourage uh, negative activity from people whose disposition may be similar to what they would consider uh, uh, other individuals who committed criminal activity. In other words, profiling. So when the FBI profiles a group and then inserts themselves within that group to such a degree that they essentially become a legitimate part of that group, if not the defining uh, purpose uh, driving that group or the very originator of the group itself, all of these possibilities exist that make me think, well, I mean, if you're going to that extent to try to stir up uh, some level of, of of uh, dissension among the populace, you're going to stir up some level of dissension among the populace. It's just what you're doing. And then when you find those individuals in those groups most likely to carry it further, well, would they have carried it at all if you hadn't started it all up? And this, to me, is the genuine concern of, say, trying to hold a congressperson accountable to the negative acts that they're participating in. From afar, it's like, well, what the fuck? Of course that shit's illegal. You knew it was illegal. Well, yeah, I knew it was illegal, but everybody else is doing it. Okay, that's about the biggest cop-out there is, right? That's the kid with the test. But everybody else is doing it. And they're doing it in a way that if I don't do it, they pass me by. Those are not as easy a decision as you think. All you morally superior people. Pause. All right. <clears throat> in the last recording, I was trying to discuss somewhat discuss the variance in opportunity and decision-making that you can undertake to push your life in whatever direction you at the time see fit, but whatever routes and, and redirects you may inspire in your own trajectory, there are cross nodes that you are going to interact with. 
And those cross nodes aren't always there to um, to <laughs> sort out your map challenge of life experience. They can also be barometers of just exactly what your life's experience until that point represents. This is the part I want to explain, so hang on. Pause. So cross nodes. <clears throat> In trying to ascertain the um, presence of my cross nodes, uh, I have learned that one thing that's hard to do is to see them coming uh, in your reality life. I think your dream life reveals a little bit more about what's there. But the whole point of the experience is for it to, uh, to set you in motion to have to make a decision or come up with a direction for your life to go to either take advantage of or head off certain uh, head or tailwinds, right? Pause. But not all nodes that you get to are because they're forcing you, like a character in a video game, to make some sort of decision to move the plot along. That's not it at all. In fact, what I've come to see now is a lot of your late life nodes that are set to be crossed are set to be crossed to show you just where your life's uh, points of emphasis have been to your advantage versus where they've been not to your advantage. In other words, you may hit nodes later in life like perhaps you're set up to be a voice of truth among a, an age of disinformation. And when you arrive at that destiny, well, depending on how you lived your life to that point, you arrive with the same destiny, but in different capacities. Maybe in one capacity, you were... Uh, oh, pardon me. Hang on. I gotta... I'll be right back. Unpause, pause. Unpause, pause. Okay. So, if, if you fall into this role as a pristine uh, rise to the cream of the crop overachiever... Um, maybe you are owner of the Washington Post. Um, but in this reality, that job went to a guy named Jeff Bezos, so clearly that wasn't uh, my destiny. But say, uh, say you become addicted to heroin in your 30s. Well, that takes the uh, owner of the Washington Post off the table. It takes the uh, successful radio DJ off the table. I don't know. It takes a few things off the table, but... Maybe it opens wide a door toward stand-up comedy. Because now you got a record, so you can't get a normal job. So you start dabbling around in entertainment and find you have a proclivity for jokes. And you become the voice of the truth against uh, an age of, uh, of disinformation via stand-up comedy. Whatever it may be, the route you get to the point that you're supposed to become your destiny is filled with free will. And that free will will always turn out the best if you're living it in a capacity that says, how true am I being to myself? 100%? Booyah.
All right, unpause. The truth is, uh, my tinnitus right now is piercing. I can usually talk over almost anything, especially an audience. But the piercing tinnitus at its worst, so much so that it affects my vocabulary and my pronunciation of the word worst, when it's at that level, well, the truth is I should take a break, try to let it go, and get back to something where I can concentrate more easily. Because right now it's just, ah, oh man, it is not letting go. What do we call that, Kitty? We call that relentless. But if I take a break and come back to this after listening to the last two, well, maybe I can put some crayons on all of it. But don't count on it, because I just missed the 420 beat, so now at 426, we're going to pause. All right. Unpause. Tinnitus has subsided. <clears throat> because it's Sunday. Fuck, man, it's already, what? This, uh, it's April 2nd. Man, to be fair, been a little under the weather. Been a lot under the weather. For a guy who says he never gets sick, I got legitimately sick this week. And yeah, it could be uh, allergies. I agree, it's a time of year, right? Could be nothing but things opening up in nature. Or it could be all the 5G towers came on. Or it could just be I got sick. All those possibilities ring true about the same, so consider them whichever is your reality, fine with me. But for my reality, <clears throat> hopefully that means writing to work today is a little easier than it's been. I've had my new gauge of how I feel is how easily I ride to work without any lung resistance, and <clears throat> the last week has not been anything but C-minus territory for that. So hopefully I can ride to work in kind of B lung condition today, maybe even A lung condition tomorrow, because yes, I will be working for one more week. I extended it because I got sick and frankly can't afford it without at least getting a couple hundred more bucks. I mean, I can. It's just I don't want to struggle to have to find work in May if I can wait till July. So living cheaply enough, that's not totally the difference, but it's enough of the difference. Um... I wanted to pay a little bit of attention to the first time I looked at my map of influence in the United States to see how, where people had downloaded. I found seven states that hadn't downloaded me, which were Alaska, Maine, Vermont, uh, Montana, South Dakota, Wyoming, and Idaho. In reverse order of, no, I don't know if this is true, but the next one to download me then was Alaska. After that, I believe it was uh, Montana, perhaps. Um, and then after that, it was Maine, I believe, because Idaho came after that, which I don't know if I've mentioned yet, leaving me only three states, Wyoming, South Dakota, and Vermont, as the three states that have not downloaded me, which was true until two days ago, because somebody in South Dakota made the poor decision to download my record. So, the last state in the nation comes down to Vermont versus May Wyoming. Vermont versus Wyoming. Maine, you, you got in there a while ago. But Vermont versus Wyoming. Seriously. The least populated states, I think, in the nation. So, whatever. Vermont versus Wyoming. I mean, if you got to pick one, right? Vermont, you got to be next. you got to make Wyoming last. They're last alphabetically. Let's make them last in terms of common sense. We can do this, Vermont. 
um, if it makes any difference, I used to uh, go watch movies in a place called uh, something Vermont. It was in South Vermont. They had like a Honda dealership. Keene, Vermont? Is Keene in Vermont? Keene seems like it's in New Hampshire. What would be directly across the New Hampshire border from Keene? That town. Brattleboro? Maybe Brattleboro, Vermont. I've been to Brattleboro, Vermont. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I live very close to Wyoming right now. But that does not matter. Do you know how close I live to Wyoming? Do you know how many times I've been to Wyoming? <laughs> yeah, zero. So, I mean, I've been to Wyoming in my life. Been to the Grand Tetons. Uh, yada, yada. But, and not yada, yada, because Yosemite's in Wyoming. Wyoming's a beautiful state. Don't get me wrong. But come on, Vermont. We're talking people. Uh, and since we're talking people, what I wanted to finish up this whole node conversation about is that the Home Depot for me was a node, clearly. It was a geographical and a uh, people node, and it was a two-people node. So a lot of fucking energy at the Home Depot did I spend. Pause. And honestly, I'm a little tired. I think the reason that I've gotten sick is because I had exactly one year to figure out my karmic retribution at the Home Depot, which I did in the first six months. I could have left there any time from August on. But to fully fully develop the relational conduit of energy between the two people who matter the most, and there are two others who matter just almost as much, and two others who, if they get their shit together will matter the most. All of the six-pack of influencers, some of whom are awake and some of whom aren't. Well, in the year I was there, I had as much positive outreach among that group as I could. And having now only uh, overextended my stay, I guarantee you the next 48 hours which start in less than one, uh, are going to be taxing. I shouldn't be there this week. I'm there strictly because I need the money. And I know I don't need the money because I wouldn't be getting pushed out the door if I did. But it always makes me feel better to have a little more cushion than what I know I need to have. So, suffer this week I will. Hopefully I don't get anybody else sick, and hopefully it doesn't turn for the worse for me because... Frankly, yesterday sucked. When I get into a mood of, hmm, it's not anger, it's frustration. There is a huge difference to me between those two variables. Because frustration is, it's like disappointment's next door neighbor. But you feel more like maybe even you were part of the frustrating element. I don't know. There's just... There's just that sense of, what the fuck's going on around here? Why, why is it like this? What, what happened? Is anybody doing anything? Those moments. Well, yesterday was a huge one. And when I get those moments, they suck the energy that other people are having toward me. Here's, here's my point. Whatever I am willing to throw to the universe, I get in return. And I can suck it back in gobs if I want to, or I can let it go. But when it's frustration, it can suck me. It can overwhelm me. In fact, 
So much so that not only do I get all of that crap out of the workers, the co-workers I happen to be with that day, but I will then get it from the coincidental interaction I have at the stoplight with traffic. The drivers next to me will be yelling at each other or two people in the back seat will be screaming at each other. I mean, it's just wherever discordance exists, it follows me and I suck it out. So by the time I get home from a 20 minute random bike ride, I can have amplified my own discordance three times, not from my own experiences, but from the ones around me. It could be somebody yelling at somebody in a living room in a household I didn't even see. So I walk in the house just fuming from all of the energy that I've picked up. And if I stop at somewhere like the grocery store, I guarantee you I have three bad interactions, which I did last night. So by the time I get home, I had to play Killing in the Name of by Rage Against the Machine on my uh, music collection with my entire collection randomly behind it. And I just let the next song come up and I think, can I listen to this song? Nope. Back to Rage Against the Machine. And usually I can get through four or five Rage Against the Machines before something comes up that I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, the song. I can listen to the song right now. Because it tranquils out rather quickly. But 13, 13 Rage Against the Machine, Killing in the Name of, replays, before I finally got to a song that I thought, okay, I can listen to this. And it was Fat Boy Slim, Don't Let the Man Get You Down, or whatever, the long-haired hippie, need not apply. Yeah. By the time I got to that one, and there were a couple early examples and I could have quit on three because three was Maple Leaf Rag, which it was just too early in the rotation, but I've been trying to teach myself that on the piano. I used to know it by heart. So not being able to finger my way through Maple Leaf Rag and no, that wasn't double entendre, but not being able to just even play the song. Well, after I got done getting through my angst, and by the time I'm done, I'm dancing in the living room with my dog. So it's just, I have to purge it. You know, I have to get rid of it, which is just frustrating. Because it's like, I don't know, maybe it's not frustrating. Maybe being able to take the angst, the energy away from the world and throw it into a dance with my dog is exactly why I'm here. It could be. It could be. But... The real reward was having heard that Maple Leaf Rag song in the third rotation. Well, by the time I'm done dancing, I did get back to it. And I put it on, and I sat down. And for the first time, <laughs> uh, I'm going to lose it. Jesus. <sighs> well, let's see if I can hold it together enough to finish my story. The uh, For the first time, uh, I played the song. Completely. And obviously that matters to me. 